This is More Than Therapy Podcast More Than Therapy This is More Than Therapy More Than Therapy Podcast This is More Than Therapy More Than Therapy Podcast This is More Than Therapy Podcast Hello Today, at the Morning Therapy Podcast, we have Greg Whiting. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Greg Whiting is a healer who helps leaders and entrepreneurs heal the anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and trauma they can't think or talk their way out of. He is the founder of Prisma, a framework overlaying trauma, neuroscience, and energy medicine with somatic and mindfulness-based practices. He developed this while healing his own anxiety, depression, and chronic pain rooted in trauma. This included unraveling a severe spinal curvature and standing three inches taller today. Today, we have Mr. Greg Whiting, who's going to talk to, to us about healing the pain, not just physically, but mentally. Greg, Greg, what? Tell me about the unraveling of your spine as it connected to pain. Because that was would that be considered the start of your journey regarding this healing venture? You know, I'd say that was when my spine began to unravel, I was kind of awe-inspired around the possibility of healing because I never had an expectation that that was possible. Prior to that happening, I had been to, you know, lots of traditional therapy and chiropractic. And I felt like all forms of treatment were like kind of coming at me to try to, to try to fix me or to try to like manipulate me into some sort of balance. And when I found energy medicine, it was more meeting my body where it's at so it can start to reorganize according to its own wisdom. Um, and so, yeah, when I had that first experience of my spine starting to unravel, um, I was pretty struck um, and I, I knew I was onto something and that, yeah, so that, that was pretty early on and, you know, well over 25 years ago. I know my journey started in trauma if looking at my life path, it was never supposed to be where I am at today. It took a significant trauma with the death of my brother, which led me to, I don't know, really going to a really dark, dark place for an extended period of time, only to come out on the other side with a purpose to be better than I was before. You yourself have indicated an understanding of how trauma can be transformative. But I ask you this, trauma, trauma. Why is trauma our greatest liability? But then the follow-up, why is it our greatest gift? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it can either make us or break us. Right. And I think the, the variable there is, do we have the right support? So with the right support, the right resources, um, the right tools, the right community, I think we can derive a lot of meaning uh, and significance out of our trauma. And that can really um, kind of point us towards a path of purpose, uh, not only purpose, but fulfillment, you know, because I, I work with a lot of people that are purpose-driven. Um, they're made of purpose, but they lack fulfillment because their, their drive is fueled by a trauma response. And so, yeah, it, trauma becomes a liability when it leads to burnout, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, when we've, we're losing ourselves, where our, our drive is to, you know, hustle for our own worth. Um, you know, when we 
do not have a sense of belonging or safety within ourselves. And so that creates a really strong identification with victimhood and pain and, you know, which really becomes a mask or a costume that obscures the truth of who we are. Um, and that can, um, you know, lead to perpetuating cycles of harm. And, you know, I think also, yeah, the, the lie of trauma is often organized around we can't. So uh, if we're continually living our lives trying to prove that we can, um, that's going to come at a cost. Um, you know, that's, that's really going to run us down and run us ragged. Depression and anxiety seems to be at an almost significant high here in America. I know that y'all have it, y'all very much is impacted by the forces that be in the West Coast, much like we are in the East Coast. I think y'all are getting hit a little bit harder than we are in a lot of aspects. Have you seen a, an increase in depression and anxiety in your practice? Um, you know, that's kind of the world I, I swim in in terms of how I help people. Um, I think. In the past, I, people might come in with other symptoms of chronic pain, um, you know, relationship issues, autoimmune issues. Um, I'm finding there's more of an awareness of kind of the emotional imprints of trauma that kind of rests beneath depression and anxiety. So I think there is just more of a, an awareness of kind of the work that needs to be done to heal anxiety and depression. Um, but I, I'd imagine, yeah, the research would tell us that it's definitely on a rise for sure. Indeed. I um, work for, um, I'm contracted with a medication assisted treatment facility and well, a couple of them across the United States. And I, we find it as a high coalition between their pain and their depression, and anxiety. Once their pain is better managed, we see a, a great reduction in depression and anxiety, almost as if the pain is the cause of their mental health symptoms. And then once their pain is alleviated, those mental health symptoms are alleviated. But it also goes back to what you said with support, you know, mental health support, um, activated natural support, educated natural supports in regards to how to assist their family, their person in recovery. Yeah. Um, supports the, I mean, whereas we're, we're social creatures, we're not meant to do this thing called life alone and trauma imprints upon us when we feel isolated and alone and under supported. And so it's very much through the relational field, you know, that healing repair happens through right relationship. You know, we, we, we you know, self care, there's, there's some healing that we can do on our own, but, and I think that's a big missing piece in mental health where it's not community-based and it's not peer um, peer run as much as it could be. Um, and I think that's where we can really bring more power um, and agency to individuals on the healing path is by just helping each individual's lived experience kind of inform their own path of healing and let that be shared in community. Um, you know, but the, the subconscious and unconscious mind reside in the body, you know, so all of the behaviors and beliefs that are organized around our pain live in the body. And yeah, the body and the mind are then 
kind of signaling this feedback loop, right? So we feel pain, then we start to, you know, think and believe and behave organized around that pain, which then starts to generate more pain. So it becomes a vicious cycle. So if we can short circuit it, you know, from one area to the other, then, you know, it helps the, the rest of the system start to find some resolution. A lot of people who get referrals to, you know, MAT and have to, you know, are mandated for the, for the most part to get mental health support, like through my um, agency, they find a high stigma associated with mental health, almost as if their culture or their education or their background indicates that if you have to get mental health services, you're less than. How do we remove the stigma from mental health, in your opinion? Yeah, I, for me, I, th I think it's really important to kind of create a framework that what if our anxiety and our depression is actually a healthy response to an unhealthy world? Um, and so I think it's really important to take the stigma out of, out of mental health and help people understand that it's just a healthy response. The nervous system is doing what it needs to do and the brain is doing what it needs to do to keep us safe. And so, um, and I think right now, as more people are accessing care and support, you know, I think we're in the process of um, normalizing, you know, mental health and, you know, the need to to have support and not go the, do this thing called life alone. I think that's a big shift that we're starting to see right now and a long way to go for sure. You have worked in this field for over 25 years. How do you keep going? I know myself, I mean, I might just be burned out or something. I hope that's not the case. I find it sometimes hard to come off a Sunday and go to work on Monday, you know, looking at the schedule ahead of me and just be like, whew, let go. Let's just recalibrate. But for 25 years, you have been in the trenches. Greg, how do you keep going? You know, I feel very fortunate that I've over the years been able to take some pauses and kind of re-engineer how I work. Um, and so, yeah, I have, I have, I've set a schedule where I lean in with clients three weeks at a time and then pause for a week. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've found a cadence that works for me where I feel like I'm able to give consistent care to clients and students, but then also, yeah, have that space for myself. Um, also, the nature of how I work um, with energy medicine is really one of just holding neutral space. So, you know, my orientation to healing isn't trying to figure anything out intellectually. So I'm not using that muscle of having to figure out, fix solve. Um, and so that, that energy of being more of a neutral pillar of awareness um, just keeps my energy um, less attached to outcome. Um, and so that really frees my energy up along the way um, where I'm showing up with 100% of my, you know, attention and care. And also knowing that, you know, 
that's all I can do. You know, each individual's journey is their own and that, and I'm not responsible for that journey. My commitment is just to show up and be a support on each person's journey. Um, but you know, the outcome of their journey is not, you know, on my shoulders. Um, and I actually work a lot of healthcare professionals come to me to manage their secondary trauma, their caregiver fatigue. And so working with energy medicine is just a really useful tool, along with the mindfulness and the somatics to um, kind of take that step back and create that distance. Tell me more about energy medicine, because, you know, on the East Coast, we don't really hear a lot about that. Out the West, you have more advances and <laughs> I hear about strategies and techniques that, you know, we've never ever would touch on the East Coast, probably for another 10, 15 years or so behind when it comes to useful tools for wellness, as far as, you know, reimbursement and how the insurance panels pay. Please tell us more about energy medicine. Yeah. You know, I look at I look at the body as like a symphony orchestra. And so every organ, every muscle, every tissue, every cell, every hormone, every memory, every belief are all, you know, individual players of that orchestra. And when we're experiencing health, there's a musicality of being, you know, the symphony is making music. There's a, a harmony and a resonance. And when we start to have, um, you know, breakdowns in that communication, when the nervous system gets short circuited because of stress, because of trauma, because of environmental toxins, because of toxicity in our food, because of intergenerational patterns of trauma, that short circuiting starts to leave us really fragmented. And so instead of making music, we start to make noise. And that noise is that uh, expression of symptoms, illness and disease. So energy medicine is more concerned with creating more of a harmonic resonance between these disparate parts to help them come back into an expression of wholeness. And so energy medicine is really working with the relationship between parts, you know, where Western medicine is more involved with the biochemistry of different parts. Um, and so, you know, it's just supporting the system's general tendency towards balance, which then activates the natural healing response, you know, and how everything's related, right? A stagnation of emotion in the body is going to compromise the immune system. A compromised immune system is going to make the system more susceptible to, um, you know, carrying a backlog of infectious allergens, which then, you know, that's going to be tied into feelings of depression. You know, when the uh, immune system is then compromised, the system's feeling less weak, more vulnerable, then the fear comes in, that's going to tie into more anxiety. So all these pieces are, you know, really linked. And then behaviors and beliefs start to kind of repattern. So then who we are and our identity starts to become organized around all of our maladaptations to stress, our pain and our wounding, um, and less organized around the truth of who we are. So energy medicine just helps to, you know, neutralize all those aspects so we can just start to rest in the natural expression of who we are. Um, and we could do that by bypassing the mind, you know, without having to figure it out intellectually. It's helping the body's innate wisdom resolve all of these aspects. You know, and innate wisdom is a term that comes from chiropractic. And I think of innate wisdom as 
you know, the intelligence, the healing mechanism that heals a paper cut. So when we have a paper cut, there's some intelligence that sends platelets and proteins and orchestrates all of these healing transmissions, you know, and that can happen while we're asleep, while we're watching a movie, while we're out for a walk, while we're eating lunch, you know, so it's beyond our conscious mind. We're not thinking about how the paper cut heals. It just heals. Um, and so the body, mind, and spirit are designed to heal and energy medicine is the vehicle that supports that healing. Indeed. Now it's time for an advertising break. I thrive. I thrive to be alive. I want to live a healthier lifestyle. I want to be healthier. I want to be around for my children to graduate, have children, and have their children have children. I want to be free from the disease of high blood pressure and diabetes. I thrive to be alive. I thrive to be Oh, you're muted. I can't hear you. <laughs> You've indicated some understanding of how maybe the mental health diagnoses, the stresses that we experience that cause a diagnosis of a mental health may be more reminiscent of the pathological damage that our culture, our society is doing to us. Tell us more about that. You know, how many people are told that they have a chemical imbalance that is causing their depression? Um, that actually hasn't been proven, right? A chemical imbalance may be present, but we can't say for certain that it is causing the symptom, causing the mental illness. Um, and what happens when we actually heal the underlying trauma and then the chemical imbalance falls away, right? So, um, but we've kind of bought into that idea. So then instead of addressing the underlying trauma beneath our pain, we are busy treating the chemical imbalance. And so, um, I'm really invested in kind of reverse engineering how we approach healing and looking at every aspect of our, our system as related. So it, it's not really useful to treat the chemical imbalance in isolation. Um, if anything, we can look at the chemical imbalance as the tip of an iceberg, and we need to look at all the causative factors that are beneath the surface causing, um, causing that chemical imbalance. Uh, and that's not what's happening in a lot of um, treatment protocols today. Um, and, and I think that's a really important thing to look at. And I agree. I worked in a practice in which um, my previous supervisor wouldn't work. I was on a, what they call a community-based team. And our previous supervisor wouldn't work with people or wouldn't allow the team to work with people with borderline personality disorder or what they deem as borderline personality disorder. And I was like, mm, let's try to at least address that person's issues to the best of our ability before we say we're not going to work with them at, on a community-based level. And like, like you said, when you start working and dealing with and alleviating the underlying trauma, the attributes that associate them with having that diagnosis fall away. So it's like you are, you look at borderline personality disorder and it's a personality disorder and you say, boom, it's solid. You don't ever lose that. But I find that often when the trauma is addressed, those attributes that gave them that diagnosis no longer exist. So why were they even given a personality disorder when we could have gave them a, a more significant diagnosis that wouldn't, you know, be a continuous label because 
when we may have known that they were, you know, traumatized at five, which caused the basis of their personality going forward. But when we addressed that trauma, alleviated that trauma, you know, their aggressiveness, their attributes that associated them with having that diagnosis aren't even present anymore. They're, uh, they're working, they're having better relationships, healthier relationships, better parenting, no longer using substances, being a contributing member to society, as we call it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, so I was just thinking that, you know, that you're right, that is exactly right. And I wish more clinicians, more, more healthcare professionals would, you know, take on the mantra of, you know, let's look at the bigger picture before we, you know, pinpoint somebody with a label, because oftentimes people adhere to a label. When they have the label, then boom, they start taking on the attributes of that label, and that now defines who they are. Yeah. I think it's it's far too easy to slap on a diagnosis and then follow a really rigid, fixed, narrow treatment protocol. And that kind of takes the humanity out of, you know, out of the process that becomes far too sterile, far too clinical, far too institutional. Um, and the, the humanity piece is the biggest piece when it comes to resolving trauma. So that can actually perpetuate more harm and, you know, really leave that, that patient without the proper care they need. Um, and, you know, and I think there's also a place for diagnosis, but I think as long as we're willing to explore how to address the diagnosis outside of the box and draw upon as many resources and tools um, as, as humanly possible. You developed a program called um, PRISMA. I would like to talk about that if that's okay with you. Can you tell us regarding, you know, what made you develop it? What made you you know, say this is a good formula for us to go forward regarding, you know, the wellness and recovery. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't looking to develop Prisma. I was looking to heal myself. And for what, you know, the reasons we were just talking about, I found that many traditional approaches to therapy. Um, and I'm not knocking therapy. Therapy has been a huge lifesaver for me and, you know, most of the clients and students I work with. And I think everything has its place and its limitation. Um, and so I found that therapy was ill-equipped to address the impacts of trauma that had kind of calcified within my body, which was, you know, holding that severe curve in my spine, right? And how the effects of anxiety and depression were living within my cells and my tissues. So therapy had given me a, a helpful intellectual framework of my pain, but it didn't really do much to help my body metabolize and process and make sense of the pain, release the pain. So, you know, that led me on a journey of kind of figuring out what can help me heal. Right. And so I was first introduced to energy medicine through a friend who was a massage therapist and she offered me a massage. And at the time I was living in so much chronic pain that I did not want a massage. That would be too painful. So she said, well, I can do some energy medicine. I don't even have to touch or it can be a very gentle touch. And I realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. You know, my whole body just started to take an exhale and just started to unravel. So that was pretty informative. And so within a year, I started to study energy medicine. And that's when I had that experience of my spine starting to unravel. And then I started to study meditation and mindfulness. Um, and that led me to more somatic work, work within the body. Um, and 
over time that led me into like trauma and neuroscience. So, you know, it just let, so for me, the development of Prisma was looking back and having then, you know, unraveled three inches of my spine, no longer living in chronic pain, anxiety, and depression. Um, and thinking, well, who am I not to share this journey with others? So kind of reverse engineering, you know, all of the different pieces that I had pulled together to heal. And so, yeah, so what that looks like, Prisma is an eight-week online course. Um, and I look at that as kind of the owner's manual and the roadmap for healing. And that's where I kind of draw upon all the trauma and neuroscience. Um, and then the seven Prisma pillars, I look at as the drop pins on that roadmap. And, you know, I look at those, you know, as useful indicators of where we are and where we're headed on our healing path. And, you know, they really help us map a path from pain to purpose. Um, and then from there, I look at the guided meditations I'd consider like the GPS. So we, you know, don't get like stuck in a dead end or, you know, driving the wrong way on a one way road. And I look at the, the meditation um, really helping to embody the somatic and mindfulness based practices at the heart of the course. Um, and that's really the mind training, right? It's orienting the mind away from pain and towards possibility, um, making sense of the pain, tending to the pain, but then not getting fixated and identified with the pain, um, you know, looking at the, the field or the horizon of possibility. Um, and then the vehicle is the energy medicine, really helping people have a tool that can help them heal more on a cellular level, you know, beyond the mind, you know, so we can bypass the mind and heal the parts that, you know, we can't think or talk our way out of. The unraveling of the spine, that's just mind boggling to me. Can you tell us how, how did that occur? Is there, was there like, tell me about the process as, as it pertained to that. Yeah. So I was working with um, my therapist at the time who was also working with energy medicine and the energy medicine she's working with is helping to it's consulting with the body's innate wisdom you know that intelligence that heals the paper cut and you know consulting that wisdom to determine where there are breakdowns in communication that are creating that noise and so she had highlighted that there were some hormones that were out of balance in relationship to some memories from early childhood tied into some emotions in different parts of my body. So in highlighting where communication wanted to be restored between these different parts, it then allowed my body's innate wisdom to start to create more of a harmonic resonance between those emotions and those hormones and those body parts and those beliefs which then helps my whole body, mind, spirit start to reverberate in a new harmonic resonance, right? So it helps to break out that noise. So more music, you know, more harmony can start to be expressed through my entire body, mind, spirit. So it's not through, you know, a forceful chiropractic adjustment, trying to force my system into a certain balance or, invite my system into a, a, a certain balance. And again, there's value in chiropractic too. I'm not knocking it. Um, but the essence of energy medicine is it's helping the body's own intelligence restructure it and repattern it instead of a practitioner scratching their head saying, hey, let's try this and let's try to put you here. 
because uh, the body may rebel because where the practitioner may want to put it, it may not be where the body really wants to go or may not be where the body is ready to go. So yeah, working with energy medicine is an invitation to really attune to the body at a deep level. And so when it feels that sense of support and connection, it, it's, it's dissolving the identity of isolation and alienation rooted in trauma, which then affords the system a capacity to start to reorganize itself uh, outside of the imprints of trauma. Indeed, indeed. If you were talking to someone or somebody was interested in working with you, I mean, what would, how would you prepare them for the journey of unraveling their pain and having a better outcome? Yeah. So, you know, the course Prisma really takes people on, on that journey. You know, the eight modules, you know, there's an audio recording and then there's journaling prompts and exercises, tools that, you know, really equip people with this entire understanding of healing. And then, you know, the other component that I forgot to mention is a Slack community where then there's engaged community engagement where people can share their challenges, they can share their aha moments, they can share what they're struggling with, the questions they have, so they can gather peer support, but also direct feedback from me and my team. Um, and so, yeah, the course just creates a really robust framework where they have the trauma and neuroscience, they have the somatics and mindfulness, and then they have the energy medicine, which I feel all really work remarkably well in tandem with one another to create a really comprehensive um, and effective system of healing. Um, and so, but some folks want more one-on-one -on -one support. And so when people want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, it's a nine or 12 month journey. And that just starts with a phone call. You know, we just have a conversation and I like to get to know where people are at, where they'd like to be, the challenges they're facing, you know, what those challenges are costing them and what they want instead. Um, and we kind of determine if working together is a good fit. And I can often offer some recommendations along the way. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, would you like to leave the listening and watching audience with any final words or words of encouragement as we move forward? You know, there's no one right way to heal. Um, so for, I just, oh, I love this story with one of my students that came to a training of mine years ago. And she just said she felt like she was following breadcrumbs that led her to that training. So, you know, whatever those breadcrumbs are for you, follow those breadcrumbs. Those threads are taking you somewhere. And if you're following kind of the impulse of your own life force that is guiding you to healing, trust that. And that's going to look different for each of us. You know, before I found a formal healing practice, for me, it was time in nature. It was reading. You know, it was music. It was dance. You're right. There, there was no like spiritual or healing teachings, methodologies, or philosophy. But it was like all of those things were some of my breadcrumbs that were helping get me out of my pain body and get me into more of my essence. So listening to those breadcrumbs, and there's gonna be roadblocks and obstacles along the way. You know, you'll find a practitioner that doesn't resonate or you'll find a methodology or modality that doesn't work well or rubs you the wrong way. And that could feel discouraging. <clears throat> um, so, you know, pick yourself up, brush yourself off and don't give up, <clears throat> excuse me, keep resourcing, looking for the next thing that 
might meet you where you're at, you know, that's better suited to support you where you're at. And a lot of it's really becoming our own best advocate, right? I think trauma often can hijack that advocacy, that agency, and healing is reclaiming that agency. So sometimes becoming our own best advocate along the way is a part of that. Um, but don't give up. You know, the body is designed to heal. Um, healing is possible. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of aliveness. There's a lot of truth and wisdom on the other side. Indeed, indeed. Thank you for working with us today, Mr. Greg Whiting, in regards to healing the pain. Learn more about Mr. Greg Whiting at prismamethod.com. That's prismamethod.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Mortal Therapy Podcast, available to wherever you push play to listen to your favorite podcasts. Be well, be great.